we're back again. It's uh, Memorial Day, as uh, we seem to be almost every other week because uh, I guess life comes in the way of, uh, of uh, these Sunday night uh, interviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, it's been great. But um, so as we talked, we're going to continue um, after you've been back home. Uh, I think when we last stopped, you've been back home a year and, and a lot of things happened in that one year. Uh, but I guess we're going to hear a little bit more about what happens with you, the university, um, until the big changes of the 68-69. Uh, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe a little bit before that even uh, to kind of catch us up. That's right. Uh, what I propose to do, if it's all right with you, is uh, that we cover under, fa- under what I would call phase one of the university mm-hmm. and, my involvement, uh, and my involvement in the university for the period of 1962 through 1968. Okay. Now, uh, as you will remember, I didn't return home until 1963, but I deliberately back uh, track one year, so we go to the foundation, to the beginning of the university. Okay. And then we'll stop uh, in 1968, but if we have time, we'll continue beyond 68 to, you know, wherever <laughs> that one hour allows us to go. Sure. Okay? Okay. Okay. Um, well, in session eight, uh, two weeks ago, we covered my return and uh, the first year of my stay in the university, uh, roughly 63 and 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and now, as I just said, uh, we'll start with uh, 62 because that's when the university started. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I was not there, I think it's appropriate to say how the university was established and started, you know, so the story becomes more complete. Mm-hmm. When, when was the founding of the college? Uh, the university college? Yeah. That was in 1950, remember? That was many yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so 1950 to 62 was the college. Yeah, Okay. exactly, exactly. Okay. In 1950 to 62 was the college, UCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, also the formation of other colleges uh, uh, concurrently. Uh, engineering, agriculture, public health, you remember all those yeah. in some of our uh, yeah. uh, sessions. Uh, and then 62 onwards is uh, HSIU, and the colleges become constituent units of the university. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about the founding of the university or the uh, establishment of the university in 62, I think it's important to remember. Uh, the context when the university was established. Mm -hmm. Uh, By this I mean, you know, in 1962, uh, when it was established, uh, it was just immediately, almost immediately after the uh, uh, aborted coup d'etat. The coup d'etat occurred uh, exactly a year earlier, almost to the day, in December of, December 18, uh, in December 1961. Mm. Now, on the university's convocation, inauguration was in December 62. Wow, okay. <laughs> so this was a, a year of, uh, as you can well, well, as you can imagine, uh, the, the emperor had just returned and been here a year. So people were expecting lots of changes as a result of the coup, because during the coup, the three or four days that the coup lasted, all kinds of uh, criticism had been voiced by the coup leaders on the on on uh, on, on the emperor, mm. 
that Ethiopia was lagging behind. It's, although it's an ancient country with thousands of, no, 3,000 years of history, you know, newer African countries that were born well after, uh, you know, only a few, only, uh, what, in the 1960s and some uh, were, were, were ahead of it in terms of education enrollment, in terms of public health, in terms of uh, infrastructure development and so forth and so on. So there was a lot of criticism that the uh, coup leaders uh, had said during the time they were in power because they had all the radio to themselves. You know? I didn't know that. Yeah, they had the radio to themselves. So mm. they were trying to, uh, you know, get public support. Mm. So they were blaming the emperor for the uh, uh, backwardness in comparison even to African countries of the uh, of Ethiopia. Mm. So uh, there was a lot of expectation that because of this, because of all of the things that have been said against him, the emperor will seize this opportunity and really uh, bring in lots of reforms politically. Um, I mean, people were, to- were, were hoping that there would be political liberalization People are talking that perhaps there will be, you know, they, they, will, they will allow political parties. Hmm. Uh, there were no political parties, as you know, during the whole reign of the emperor. Nor now, but yes. Not. People were hoping that there will be land reform, hmm. there will be freedom of speech, or freedom of press, private newspapers, private. I mean, you know, it was uh, lots of euphoria, so yeah. to say. So when the emperor, and, and then I should say also a little bit earlier on, in fact, uh, almost uh, 10 years before that, people in the good old days, you know, before the coup, in the good old days, in the, in, in the sense that when the emperor was at the height of his popularity, mm. people had volunteered to give their year's salary, no, no, their, the, the equivalent of one month's salary spread over a year. Mm. You understand me? Yeah. Like if the salary is $200, you'd, they would divide it into 12 parts and every month they would take out, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, to 200 divided by 12. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was meant to be a contribution for building a, a monument to the emperor's uh, great contribution. Wow. So some money has been collected and, 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 uh, in, in the Ministry of Finance. Even I had contributed because in those years I was teaching for one year at the... Uh, uh, you remember at the uh, theological school. So for what it was worth, I'd given to, uh, whatever my salary was divided by 12. So and, and lots of people have done that. Mm. And there was some money there. Um, the, emperor, uh, the, emperor, uh, the emperor acknowledged this great gift mm. and, and, and had told them in, uh, instead in one of his uh, speeches that he would rather have uh, a more lasting, a more, uh, uh, yeah, a more lasting something that has life of its own, something that will grow and that's something that will contribute to the country instead of just a stone, a monument. And he suggested that in, the, that whatever money they had collected should be uh, used to uh, to build a university. Hmm, okay. Uh, that was uh, uh, at the time of the university college was being established. But they didn't establish the, uh, the university. They only had that college. And but the idea has been, you know, planted. The seeds of the university had been planted as far back as you know the, when the university was 
established. You remember that when the University College was uh, inaugurated in 1950, mm. uh, there were all kinds of, I mean, you know, in the background there were debates in the government hierarchy, what kind of college should we have? Should we have a, a separate college? Should we, should it be affiliated with, an, uh, with a, a foreign university? Uh, should it mm -hmm. be, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember so, that, yeah. Yeah, this was part of all that discussion because uh, the emperor had said, let's use the money that we've collected uh, to, uh, for a university. Mm -hmm. So in 19, coming back to uh, the period under discussion, so when the, uh, in December 1961, mm. uh, uh, when the university was inaugurated, the emperor uh, said, okay, you know, he wants this uh, university, the money to be used for the university. And he gave on his own accord his palace mm. uh, for the university. And that palace of his was, in fact, his father's, Rasmokonin's uh, residence during the Minilik era. And it had been uh, renovated and upgraded and so forth and so on, but it was his private property. Wow, okay. Yeah, so and up until now, that uh, building, which is the central administration of the university, is called Rasmokonin Hall. Rasmokonin Hall, yeah. Wow. <laughs> After his father. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so, I mean, but that was, and then, uh, I mean, there was, a, a, th that's only one building, right? So there was enough land around that to keep building? Yes. Yes, there was enough land around that to keep building, mm -hmm. but also the. Uh, constituent colleges that became part of the university stayed on their respective campuses. Oh, I see. So it, was, it, was, so it wasn't a single campus? No. Okay. No. The university college was stayed there. It became the arts and science faculty of the university. Mm. Uh, Alamaya, the College of Agriculture in, in Haran, uh, stayed there where it was in, you know, 400 kilometers or so in the east in Harar mm -hmm. as, the, as the Faculty of Agriculture. The same with Gondar Public Health. Uh, the engineering college was in Antis Ababa. It stayed there. But uh, all these were put as a federation of colleges, so to say, and formed, became the university of Haile uh, Selassie University. So what was in the main hall then? So, I mean, what's left? What's left in what sense, uh, Phil? I mean, the the university college became arts and sciences. Engineering was already somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, the provincial college estate. So what was in the now university campus? It, 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 they became, uh, I mean, you know, they uh, were consolidated into one unit in the sense that they now had a common entrance admission. Mm -hmm. They had a, uh, a common charter, one charter, the old university college charter oh, no, no. was no longer I mean, no, no, I mean, administratively, I understand, but the building, yeah. the Rasmakonian Hall, or whatever was the palace, right? Yeah. I mean, what did what faculties oh. were in that building or that campus? No, no, so the Rasmakonian Hall was purely administrative building. Okay. There was uh, an, another building was erected soon afterwards, which uh, where the... Uh, uh, Faculty of Arts was moved from Arat Kilo, from the old University College, to uh, to uh, the Sidis Kilo campus. Okay. And, and the Sidis Kilo campus became just the Faculty of Science alone. So the uh, so in a year or two, maybe in, in two or three years, or even a year or two, in like by 1964. Uh, uh, Sidis Kilo, where the Rasmokonin Hall is, and where the, which is the head of the, which was the center of administration, yeah. became this the arts faculty, the arts campus rather. Okay. So it 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 uh, 
uh, it had uh, uh, the Faculty of Arts, the Faculty of Education, the School of Social uh, Work, the Law School, and later on uh, Laboratory School, which, about which we'll talk about, we'll talk about later. And then the old university college, the Arat Kilo campus, became just the science faculty, so science. Uh, okay. Yeah. And the rest were untouched. I mean, engineering was where it was, and and uh, uh, agriculture, as I said, was outside Addis Ababa. Yeah. Okay. So that's why they always talk about Arkilos and Diskilo. I always know. So that's the old and the new sort of. Yeah. The so Diskilo campus is the yeah was the, where the Rasmus Coronel is and the administrative center and later the Faculty of Arts and and uh, related fields like education. And, yeah. and so Diskilo was the one with sort of the high walls. At least to me, they seemed high. Yeah, yeah. Was, was there sort of like a tan yellow kind of wall around it? Kind of, I don't know. I just remember that. Maybe it was a palace. I guess it would have a wall. The Sudiskilo was the one that's of, that where my office used to be. You, you remember you took a picture of it from the outside. Uh, no, but I mean from the street. Was there kind of a fence? Kind of a well, the, oh, it was a big fence. Yeah, a big mm-hmm. fence with uh, elaborate uh, lines and so forth around the main gate because it was it was the emperor's palace. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Because that's yeah. Uh, I didn't know it was a palace. Yeah, it was a palace. Oh, that's cool. Uh, interestingly, also I should say, <laughs> although I mean the emperor freely gave the palace to the university, I mean his palace to the university, uh, it was also in that very palace that the coup d'état leaders had assembled all the government officials uh, during the coup. Mm. While they were fighting the army and the bodyguard and the army were fighting, the principal ministers and, and dignitaries were all assembled in that palace. In fact, in what became what later became my office. And they were just <laughs> they were just machine guns there right there. So really? eighteen or twenty of them. This is yeah. the Derg or this is the 60s? No 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 this is the uh, attempted coup in nineteen sixty. I didn't know uh, they, uh, they killed yeah. like the Derg did? I don't know they did the same yeah. thing. Oh yes they did. Yeah they had done and some of them were really great uh, prominent figures like Ras Ababa. Ras Ababa Aragai was the leading patriot during the Italian war. Wow. Uh, he did not surrender. Uh, the Italians were, had done everything possible to get hold of him, uh, to bribe him or to, you know, to, 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 to imprison him. To, but they could, I mean, he, he was killed in that uh, hall. Rasi, Yuma, many other dignitaries. I mean, there's a whole list of them. It's wow. most unfortunate because they, when the coup leaders uh, sensed that they were losing the uh, um, war or the coup, um, you know, they became desperate and they <laughs> and they just machine gunned them and and, and uh, they were soon they soon surrendered and uh, and, and that was the end of it. Wow. But in the but uh, they have they are, they did that great unfortunate thing. Yeah, that's amazing because I mean those people are you know. Um... You know they're uh, national heroes. I mean, you know that's. Not, I mean, they're not government officials. I mean, yeah, that's a founding. Yeah. You know, the founding of modern Ethiopia is is that are those patriots. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, some of those who died there uh, were great leaders of Ethiopia. I mean, I could mention names. They won't mean much to you, but uh, I mentioned Ras Ababa himself. There was this minister of. Uh, 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 <coughs> Well, he was minister of uh, many ministries, but of finance, uh, uh, he too was killed there. Mm. Uh, oh, c- quite a few. Wow. Um, 
anyway <laughs> to come back to our theme yeah. so this this was a uh, as I said, a period of euphoria, of expectation, and so forth. So the emperor gives his palace, and uh, we were uh, everybody was hoping that uh, you know this would uh, bring in a new era of development and modernization and uh, and liberalization. Um, the university was given a, a new emblem, mm. which was in Gers, which was fantastic. It it says the Kulu. Kullu Amakuru was a Sanai Asnu. That's okay. good, which means search or inquire about everything and hold on to that which is good. Okay, that's good. You can search, you can inquire on anything and hold on to the good. I mean, the, this, I said it is fantastic in the sense that, first of all, unlike the African countries, we didn't use a Latin motto. <laughs> yeah. It was a guess. And this is from the epistles of St. Paul. You know, it's from the ah. Bible. So, Bible plus guess, which was more akin to the Ethiopian tradition than than a Latin quote from some English or French scholar of, you know. So, <laughs> from the colonial, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it started in, uh, in uh, well, uh, you know, in good spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So you remember the six colleges that existed and now became one. That's the university college that we mentioned, engineering, mm. agriculture, public health. There was a college called uh, Building College, which was like a, uh, building technology established by the Swedish uh, and, and, and theological college. These were the six colleges that were put together. Uh, two of them were outside Addis Ababa, the rest were in Addis. Uh, I think I already said that. Mm -hmm. So wh where was Gondor, by the way? Gondor was public health. Oh, public health, okay. And yeah. then now it's a medical school or it's both? Uh, it's, yeah, it's both. Mm -hmm. The Derg had uh, made it entirely medical school. Mm. Uh, they didn't believe much. I don't know why. They, I, I would have thought they would believe in uh, paramedics uh, the way the Chinese did, did with the uh, foot soldiers. How did they call them? Foot soldiers or foot doctors? Yeah. You remember? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's obvious, but yeah. So yeah, they, but, yeah. But, they, but they made it entirely uh, medical school. But I think the new regime reinstated the old uh, programs of... Uh, uh, medical, I mean, sanitarians, public health officials, uh, nurses, and so forth. So it's, it's a public health college. It's more, the emphasis being more on sanitation and, um, uh, yeah. Well, well, and you said there's the building, what was that? Is that like, it's not engineering, it's like civil engineering? I didn't, I never heard about that one. Which one? You said the Swedes had instituted one well, for building engineering? Uh, Building technology. It was yeah. called the College of Building Technology. Eventually, it was uh, it it was combined with the Engineering College to become College of Engineer College of Technology. Okay. But it, at the beginning, the Swedes had uh, helped build uh, building technology, and they were trying to the the idea of the Swedes were to see if the old uh, Ethiopian buildings, you know, huts and so forth that you have in, in the countryside could be built in such a way that uh, they would be, they would last longer and they would, they would have oh, more. Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it was semi-research and semi-teaching uh, unit. Uh, and, and it helped also in the building of many, many uh, 
primary schools in the country. What the Swiss did was they would go into a, a countryside and say, okay, raise some money, whatever some money you, you raise will uh, bring the counterpart, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll double it, you know, we'll, we'll, have our, uh, we'll match it, and with that money we'll build, we'll build you elementary schools. So the, the, so the, the Swedes had uh, this uh, building of primary schools. Uh, they didn't want to do it all by themselves. They wanted to have a, a contribution from the local communities so they would match whatever the communities did. But that's, that, that's, isn't that development? I mean, how is that uh, education? No, no, no. I mean, that's how it started, the whole building thing. They first came to build schools yeah. through this scheme. Yeah. From there, they started to to experiment on the most cost-effective way of building schools. Uh, okay. From there, they went into trying to improve the uh, uh, homes and houses of local Ethiopians in the various parts of the countries, in Gurage, in the Amhara region, in the Tigray region, which led into the college building technology college, wow. college of building technology, which later on was... Uh, combined with the engineering school to become the College of Technology wow. with, the, with the help of the Germans. I know we're covering a lot of <laughs> subsidiary ideas, but uh, that's, that's the way it, it evolved, the idea evolved. But also, I mean, it also kind of gives you an idea that, you know, there's a lot of people invested in this enterprise. I mean, not all of them from Ethiopia. I mean, it's just, yeah. right? I mean, you, you know, it's hard to see the whole picture, right? You, just, you know, sort of seeing one prism. Exactly, exactly. In fact, this is this was uh, uh, my next point. One of the uh, hurdles we had in trying to consolidate these various colleges was precisely the fact that these colleges were started with uh, by different uh, foreign uh, countries with you know with their own nationalities, with their own uh, academic uh, uh, traditions. So there were the English, there were. Uh, the English are mostly in the Faculty of Arts. There are Americans entirely, I mean, you know, a large uh, part of Americans were, I mean, a large contingent of Americans were at the Agricultural College in Alamaya. The mm. College of Technology uh, was German. Yeah. Uh, the Swedish had this, uh, no, no, the College of Technology was German. The Swedish had the building college. And, uh, and the, the UNICEF, UNDP, you know, international uh, groups had uh, the uh, uh, public health college. So entirely different uh, academic traditions, the manner they graded, the manner they admitted students, the curriculum itself, uh, the way they marked the, stu- uh, you know, the uh, mm, curriculum was very different. So one of the purposes of the university was precisely to uh, unify, I mean, at least to have a, a common manner of testing and uh, recruiting students, uh, admitting students, um, common curriculum uh, format. Yeah. Is this is this a common theme in other African countries? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, is this a unique thing to Ethiopia that there are so many different, uh, you know, uh, educational institutions to be amalgamated? Yes, I, th- I think so. I mean, in a little while, I'll, I'll mention how the eclectic nature of the university. I mean, the other African countries, most of the other African countries, uh, they simply replicated whatever their colonial uh, uh, 
pastile. I mean, if they were a British colony, whatever was in Britain, it was more or less transplanted into uh, either Ghana or Nigeria or Sierra Leone. I mean, if you go to Ibadan uh, or, or you go to Lagos, I mean, Ibadan is in Lagos. I mean, or if you go to uh, Ghana, uh, Lagos University or, or the Forabe College in Sierra Leone or, or the University of Khartoum, it's essentially a replica of what happens in England. The difference might have been between Edinburgh and Oxford rather than, uh, you know, being a completely different uh, tradition. So I think on the whole, yes, this was uh, quite unique to Ethiopia because we had to know colonial past, so to say, mm. uh, from which to get this, uh, this university model. So we went our, uh, our own way, mm. uh, picking and choosing kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the university was given a new chapter, a new charter, hmm. uh, um, replacing the old university college charter. Uh, there, so, and the charter was quite liberal, really. In, 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 you can hardly tell the difference between that charter and any other. The most liberal charter, uh, the most, yeah, you know, the charter of the most liberal university overseas. Wow. I mean, it, it grants academic freedom, um, freedom uh, of writing, of speech, or and and, and comp- academic autonomy. And the university, the government wouldn't uh, uh, get involved in any of the academic decisions. Granted, the board. There was a board uh, under the charter, which was the governing body of the university, and granted that these mem- the members of this board were government officers, government mm. officials, many of the ministers actually. Mm. Uh, but for really, I mean, I can say uh, without any hesitation that on most cases, virtually in every case, when they sat as members of the university board, they wore a different hat than they were as, as ministers of the realm. Mm. Uh, and the emperor made makes made uh, used to make the emperor used to make uh, numerous analogies how why the university should be free. I mm. mean, you know, in in our tradition, in the Ethiopian tradition, if uh, by if if uh, someone who is uh, an outlaw, if an outlaw, if someone who someone murders somebody or makes you know he's an, he's a fugitive, he goes to a monastery and rings a bell and asks for the protection of that monastery and he's given complete freedom the monasteries would 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 uh, uh, shield him yeah. from uh, government uh, 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 you know from being imprisoned or uh, and so forth so he made that he made that parallel and told his uh, army whenever there was a student uh, uprising you know later on he said no the university is like a monastery wow. you shouldn't go into the campus unless you're invited to go to the campus if and when they go out of the campus then that's a different thing but don't you go into the campus and uh, and and, and uh, you know start beating students as a whole wow. and this was to a large extent uh, adhered to hmm. yeah that's pretty amazing i mean so what i'm you know did you guys uh, copy an outside charter? I mean, where'd you get the ideas, the language? I mean, where did that come from? Um, again, I think they had, uh, of course, the, the, the charter of the University College uh, uh, it was a starting uh, off point. And then they added, I mean, they formed uh, 
several councils. I was not involved, as I said, I, was, I, was, I hadn't even returned in 1962. But they had uh, uh, legal uh, lawyers from Ethiopians as well as foreigners. And I suppose they got copies of uh, charters from other universities. Uh, and then they uh, picked and chose uh, as the situation arose. Uh, so I can't answer that question definitively, how exactly it was uh, dictated. It, it was, I mean, the charter was uh, <coughs> drafted. Mm. Uh, but a number of Ethiopians whom I know uh, did participate. Gashtashoma mentions to me, I wasn't there, I mean, not too long ago, that he, he was also involved in wow. the drafting of the charter. Uh, and I, I'm sure other lawyers of the period, you know, the young Ethiopian lawyers who had returned from McGill uh, a few years earlier, Getachak, Retashoma, and Nugusi, and so forth, they must have participated as did, as must have been, uh, uh, you know, people who were at the university college and so forth. And, and what about the, I mean, it just, uh, maybe we'll come back to this, but what about the context at the time? I mean, this is right on the heels of the coup. Yeah, you know, and much of it transpired on campus. I mean, so you know, wasn't that you know a flavor, you know, when when he's telling the police not to harass, you know, troublemakers later, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, you know, was there no, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if people openly criticize Emperor, but weren't there people saying at the time, are, are you, aren't you being foolish? Why are you giving you know protection, you know, for these? Well, yeah, uh, there were some critics, no doubt. I mean, there were some people who were, uh, who thought the emperor was becoming naive. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, the high-ranking officials in the police and in the army uh, did, uh, you know, did uh, menace the university. But they were, uh, uh, on the whole, I mean, I think we're talking about two different periods. At the beginning, when the charter was being drafted and, and put into place and the university was being started, there wasn't much by of uh, students making uh, um, boycotting class or raising problems or demonstrating and so forth. It's towards the latter part, you know, uh, 1968 on onwards, yeah. which I said, as I said, was the second. It's uh, a different phase. Yeah, but yeah, the, a different phase. But the first phase is right on the heels of a real coup. So I mean, but the, it was almost just forgotten. I mean, a year later, it's you know. <laughs> well, uh, maybe the, I, I don't. I don't think uh, uh, anyone objected to that. No, that was exactly what they were hoping to get from the government, in the sense that it is now a new era. The emperor must have learned his lesson mm. that the coup. Uh, leaders have been saying all kinds of uh, criticism about the emperor. And, uh, if anything, they would be they would they would gladly accept such uh, liberalizing ideas as the university being completely autonomous and uh, there should be academic freedom within the university. Um, some the, the, some of them might even you know yeah. yeah might even want it to be even outside the university have a freedom of speech all over the country. But I don't think it got much. Uh, Criticism for the liberal charter that uh, that we got no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how much you want me to go into the uh, details of the university administration. You know, there was this universities, there was this the board, uh, uh, and then the president and the deans, the department. It is more or less like what you have here in in, in this country. Um, 
one interesting point is that in the charter there was a provision that once the number of graduates from the university reached a certain figure, I forgot the, how much it was like, 100 or 200, whatever. If there have been, if there are, if at the time when the university graduates more than a certain figure, mm. a representative of the alumni would also join the board. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. And sure okay. enough, uh, but even before I left the country, even while I was in the university, there was one, maybe two. Uh, members of the alumni who were also members of the board. Yeah. That's a great so, idea. Yeah, yeah it was, I thought it was a good idea. Yeah. How big was the board? Do you remember? Uh, that's a good question. Roughly. Mm, roughly. 12, 25? No, 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 no. It's, uh, I think, 9 or 11, something oh. like that. Oh, that's very small. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. probably smaller than the average you know, community hospital. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it was small. Okay. But all of them were... Uh, uh, half and half, like two or three might have been from the older generation, mm. and the other half would be the, the new generation and people who were trained overseas uh, immediately after the uh, after the Italian occupation and who returned into to, to the country uh, in the in the early fifties or mid fifties. I mean, I mean, people like who were like five to ten years ahead of me in terms of uh, uh, returning to Ethiopia. Those who returned in 1954, 55, 56, 57, those became by now, you know, uh, big shots. And uh, so they were also... How about, uh, how about non-Ethiopians? No. Wow. Okay. The board was entirely Ethiopian. Uh, another interesting feature of the board was that there was always one representative of the clergy on the board. Interesting. Yeah. Almost like the lay member in a way. I mean, it was, it was explicitly to include the church or? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's part of the charter. So one of the members was, even at the university college, there was one member who was from the board, from the church. Wow. I mean, this is understandable in the sense that, you know, until uh, modern schools were opened, all education was in the hands of the church. Yeah. And the church, people were very skeptical about what's going on in the uh, modern schools. Uh, uh, they <laughs> thought, you know, the modern schools would be changing the religion of the young of the youngsters, you know, they, made, they would make them Catholics or Protestants. Yeah. So just to make sure that uh, the people would be uh, uh, no, not suspicious about what's going on, uh, they, they make sure that they added a member of the church as a, as a, as a member of the board. Uh, Not to mention the fact, I mean, the country is a, is a deeply religious country. I mean, yes, I, exactly. I mean, I grew up here, but I forget, you know, you forget. I mean, there is no concept of separation of church and state. No, 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 yeah. no. The emperor was almost, I mean, you know. The, the, a religi the religious head, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It goes both ways. I mean, so the, you wanted to keep them happy also. It's not just exactly. A, yeah. exactly. So the, uh, uh, by then, the admissions were uh, uh, regularized. To, to gain admission into the university, one had to pass in five in five subjects on the school leaving certificate. Uh, I, I will say a little a bit later what the 
School Living Certificate Examination is you. It was called ESLCE, Ethiopian School Living Certificate Examination, ESLCE. Uh, in fact, I served as a director of that uh, outfit for four years. Yeah. And I'll um, uh, say a little bit about what we did. <laughs> that examination was intended, uh, had two purposes. One was to uh, certify that uh, student had completed his secondary education. Um, and the other one was, it was also used as the uh, um, uh, criterion, criteria for university admission. So it had a dual purpose and it was jointly administered by the university and the Minister of Education. Wow. But, uh, uh, but as we'll see later on, I mean, you know, it was uh, as the number of kids who graduated from the secondary schools grew exponentially, uh, it was not possible to admit all of those kids who admitted who, who, who sat for the exams to into the university so later on the university was forced to have its own uh, admission exam uh, and, and then uh, the ESLCE became just a certificate that someone had admit had attained uh, had had uh, completed secondary education mm, okay. yeah um, so by I mean when the the university started in 1962. There were about 1,000 students in all of the colleges together. Hmm. Uh, in 1962, about 1,000. Wait, wait, go uh, back. In uh, how many did in in the UCAA? You guys were a class of 50? No, 100? No, 50, right? No, no. When I graduated, we were only 18. Okay. I don't understand. I want to remember the number. The number 50. Maybe it was 50 in the whole school. There were about a hundred in the whole university college. About so when we started at UCAA. Yeah. Okay. So then, how do you but, get to a thousand? Okay. Well, now we're running all those colleges. You know, uh, it's not. It wasn't just UCAA. Yeah. It was also. It was agriculture. It was public health. Uh, it was uh, engineering. You know. So, so so it was about six colleges together. Plus, this is we're talking about ten years later in 1962. So there was four years of each school. So I guess, yeah, you're right. So that would be... So what was the final class size at UCAA uh, when you left? So you, when you left, you started at 18, right? So four yeah. years later, the incoming class was how big? Uh, not too much bigger, like 25 to 30. I, I, I forget, okay. but I can look it up. Um, I don't know, it just seems like a big jump, but okay, go ahead. But we're talking about 10 years later, one and six colleges together now, that's yeah. why. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. From 18, yeah. though, still, but yeah. And I mean, maybe some of the other schools are just bigger, right? Maybe, I don't know, like agricultural school was bigger, maybe? Uh, yeah, the, anyway, I, I'll, I'll get to those figures in a little while. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that when it started, it was 9,000 uh, mm -hmm. in 1962. Mm -hmm. But 10 years later, or 12 years later, in 1974, that's when the DER came, oh. the total enrollment of the, of, the, of, the, of the university, this is full-time day, day students, was 6,500. Wow. So it, it okay. had grown six and a half times. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, okay. That, that's yeah. a big jump again. Yeah, 6,500,000 in 1973-74. Uh, I must. I sh I'm, I'm glad to say that about 20% of these were in the faculty of education, <laughs> uh, and I will explain how we managed to 
bring the enrollment up because it became, you know, by the time I left, the largest unit in the university was the Faculty of Education with with 20% of the student body. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh. The next highest was science uh. and then agriculture, uh, agriculture being the third. Uh, the target, the planning target we had now, I know I'm jumping years now, but the target, the enrollment target we had was to have one uh, a proportion of one to three in terms of science-based classes, uh, majors and arts-based uh, uh, majors. You know what I mean? So for every graduate in the arts areas, uh. in the, we were hoping to have three in the science areas. Oh, science, including agriculture, public health, medicine, everything. One, two, three. And we, and we more or less achieved that by 1974. Uh, if you added all the students who were in the art areas and, uh, and, and make them, comp- you know, it was, it was like that. But that's interesting. So if it's one to three arts to sciences, and you guys were in the Faculty of Arts, right? The School of Education was in the Faculty of Arts? Yeah. So you so that left eighty percent was everybody else, yeah. Um, but if it's one to three, that's twenty five percent has to be in the school of the faculty of the arts, and out of those twenty five, twenty were in education. So you guys had the entire faculty of the arts. We were, I mean, we just dwarfed the faculty of arts, or the faculty of business administration, or social work, or law. Law was very, very small. Uh, and even in the faculty of arts uh, field, mm. those who are studying uh, history or languages uh, or geography, any of these disciplines, many of them, I mean, a vast majority of them were students who were in, enrolled in the faculty of education. Wow, okay. But majoring in those fields. Yeah. So the, the faculty of arts, eventually became really a service faculty <laughs> to service faculty of arts. And I had a lot of uh, uh, complaint about this, you know. We were all criticized that the university was becoming a teacher's training college. Uh, but we always argued back saying, well, this is the new, this is where we need the um, graduates the most. Because by at this time, in, in this particular period that we're talking about, the enrollment in the secondary schools all over the country simply exploded. Yeah. And they had to employ large number of Peace Corps volunteers to man the secondary schools. There just were not enough teachers, Ethiopian teachers, with the, with the requisite qualification to teach in the secondary schools. So our main task in the Faculty of Education was to replace these Peace Corps teachers as early as possible, you know, by uh, having uh, graduate students, I mean, students who had the BA to teach in the, in the secondary schools. The, and yeah. why? Well, I mean, why was, I mean, after all these years, I mean, the population, it's not population growth. I mean, why were all these people going to secondary school all of a sudden? It, it was, it was uh, a natural growth. I mean, you know, like when the students enter eighth grade and finish eighth grade, they automatically open the ninth grade, which will become a secondary school. It was not a planned growth in the secondary schools. This is what I'm trying to say. The secondary schools simply mushroomed because as students moved grades from eight to nine, 
you know, whatever, and each elementary school added one grade and called it a secondary school. And this happened all over the country, unprepared, and in terms of uh, resources, in terms of laboratory equipment, resources, I mean, in terms of books, in terms of teachers, in terms of anything, you know, it it simply went uh, unplanned. I'm just asking, even before that, I mean, after all, you went to a church school. Yeah. You know, and then through a couple of, I mean, things that were exceptional ended up at Teferi McCondon School. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the country, I would assume, didn't have such a lucky break. Why all of a sudden did, you know, public primary schooling and secondary schooling take off? I mean, what? Oh, I could have mentioned that I was uh, was restricting my comments on... uh, on the university and in my own uh, work at the university, but the school system grew exponentially in the provinces and in Addis Ababa in terms of primary school and secondary school. Uh, if you wish me, I can look it. I could look up the figures and 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 and, do, and, and give you some idea next uh, uh, next session. Uh, but uh, I mean, there were secondary schools. Uh, in virtually all, not virtually, in all of the provinces, and some of the provinces are three, four, five secondary schools, mm. uh, and the st- student population uh, by 1974, then when the coup, when the direct came, the entire student population, primary and secondary, had reached close to two million. Yeah. So it was not the which is one tenth of the country. I mean, because at that time yeah. it was 25, 30 million. Yeah, uh, it had reached. Uh, um, uh, 1.8 million students in the primary and secondary schools together. Uh, so you can imagine, I mean, it, it was just, I that's, mean, there that's was... insane, yeah. Yeah. So there was exponential growth. Yeah. And if, and I mean, you, you know, there was a lot to be, uh, to, to be desired in terms of the quality of the instruction. But uh, in terms of numbers, I mean, it, it, it was just uncontrolled growth. Hmm. Yeah, and teacher colleges alone, I mean, you know, there were, um, the ones I remember, uh, there were about 12 teacher training colleges for the elementary schools, for the primary schools, uh, dispersed all over the country. Uh, But even those were not uh, adequate in terms of, uh, I mean, there was no adequate supply of trained school teachers. So what they did was whoever had uh, one year college and dropped out, they were recruited into uh, teacher uh, to, to teach in the in, in the elementary schools. Hmm. Later on, I will talk about the Ethiopian University Service EUS, which is this one-year requirement that we required uh, every student to uh, have one year in in the rural areas. Ninety uh, percent of those were doing teaching, because the other uh, departments of government uh, did not have the. Uh, absorbed through capacity. I mean, I mean, the Minister of Agriculture was not able to take all of our second or third year students, university mm. service students, yeah. to serve as extension workers. Or, I mean, they just didn't have any program. Mm. But the schools were thirsty for teachers, and uh, 80, 90 percent of our university service students became uh, teachers. And in add to that, the Peace Corps volunteers. Uh, you know, the schools were uh, making uh, tremendous growth. I mean, again, even by African standards, I should emphasize that Ethiopia was still behind. Really? Uh, yeah, it was still behind. Uh, I mean, of course, it's, a, it's different now. It's uh, 30 years later on. But uh, the 
all African governments or almost all African governments promised their people that they will they would have UPE. What what uh, what was uh, UPE means universal primary education, <laughs> and some of them attained it. Uh, you know, by the 1980s and, and and some by the 1990s. Now, you know, almost all of them have uh, UPE, Universal Primary Education. In Ethiopia, uh, I was told just as late as only two, three days ago that enrollment ratio is only 80%. Wow. Yeah, 80%. That means uh, when we talk about enrollment ratio, we're talking about only those who's, who, who are aged between uh, six and eleven primary school age kids. Of the total number of primary uh, school aged kids, eighty percent of them are in school. So even now we don't have a hundred percent school enrollment in terms of uh, uh, kids six, aged six to eleven. Wow. Um, I, when I left Ethiopia, the uh, the enrollment ratio was roughly eighteen, nineteen, close to twenty percent. Mm. Uh, which isn't much, even by African standards. But for Ethiopia, which was a very poor country, we didn't have much of natural resources. We didn't have much of an infrastructure there. It was a tremendous load for the for the uh, resources in terms of the financing of the university, of the of of the school system. Well, why, how did the other countries do it then? I mean, how did they? How, why was why were they ahead of Ethiopia? Well, they, they did it over a long period of time. You see, we started in 1941, where uh, with the return of the emperor. Mm. You remember, the countries like Ghana, Nigeria, and so forth had started almost a hundred years before us. Small, small schools, but nonetheless, you know, not necessarily by the governments because they were colonial governments, but by churches. There were missionary schools all over Ghana and Nigeria and Sierra Leone mm. and Kenya and Tanzania and so forth. So they had uh, some kind of foundation. And also the tradition of uh, of fundraising or, or, or the community financing of an elementary school, uh, building uh, uh, classrooms or even hiring teachers uh, had much longer much deeper roots in, in the rest of Africa than in Ethiopia. Unfortunately, for a long time, uh, the rural people waited for the government to build a school rather than they themselves doing it. Later on, uh, I mean, this situation did not uh, apply because mm. the communities were ahead of the government. They would build a, a, a building uh, sometimes with the help of this Swedish matching fund, and then they will ask the government to uh, send them a teacher. But in the period I'm talking about, the 50s, the 60s, and early 70s, the government had to shoulder all the responsibilities for the financing, primary, secondary, and tertiary education, and that was much too much. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to centralize all school construction. I mean, it's not done anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, also later I'll mention it, maybe just as well as uh, to mention it now. Like if we take the university, with which I'm much more familiar having worked there uh, all those years, uh, at the beginning in 1962, at, at this, the time that we're talking about now, uh, the unit, uh, the per student unit that the government had for, it was each stu- uh, about 6,000 you know uh, how much the government 
paid for each student was about six thousand dollars per student. You follow me? What I mean? Yeah, I mean that's how much it cost them. I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, that's that's how much it cost the government. Okay. Uh, that's the allocation, the budgetary allocation for uh, uh, the, the university was six thousand dollars per okay. student. Okay. Uh, by but by the time the Derg came in 1974, the student population had increased much faster than the budgetary increase from government, and the and the uh, comparative figure by the by 1974 was just over three thousand per person. Wow! You can imagine that. Yeah. So, so I mean, and that's for the university. That's what the university are doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. They, you know, that means that everybody else got cut even worse or, you know, or started a lower number. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, at the university, if it weren't for uh, uh, the substantial assistance we managed to get, and that was much, a good deal of our time, uh, at least in my time, were taken up. Uh, soliciting funds, I mean, you know, from the Swedes, from the, from the USAID, from... Canada, from Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, to help us with the purchase of books, laboratory equipment, uh, topping up salaries, because, you know, even the stuff that we got for the university, uh, we had to, what we call, top it up, you know, would pay the best salary of what we would pay an Ethiopian lecturer or an Ethiopian uh, assistant professor. But to bring it to, uh, that would attract an American to come to Ethiopia, the difference some agents would uh, require, say, um, say, twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand US dollars per year. I mean, uh, uh, just as an example, it's of course a lot more. All we would pay in Ethiopia was what we would have paid an Ethiopian teacher, uh, lecturer, and an Ethiopian lecturer maximum was twelve one thousand two hundred bir. Uh, so if you multiply that by uh, 12, it will be like, what, 14,000, 15,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the difference between what we would pay an Ethiopian lecturer and what an American or a European lecturer would want from us, the balance, we managed to get it from foreign uh, subsidies. What, what were the numbers again? The, the Ethiopians would pay 1,200 bir? For... Uh, an assistant professor was a, was one thousand two hundred per month. Okay. Per month. Uh, I mean, a, a foreign teacher, a foreign lecturer. Yeah. I, I I don't know, but I mean, you know better, perhaps. Uh, would be easily five six times that, isn't it? Oh, I don't um, know. I obviously mean, I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, I mean, because you know, it's the you. I mean, now I would imagine if you know that you wouldn't pay in better anyway. You'd pay in, in hard cash and plus the exchange and. Uh, yeah, maybe a big difference. I'm just so you're still hiring, you know. I mean, what the previous lecturers and teachers at the UCAA, how were they paid? I mean, where you know, where did those funds come from? Or how many of those were volunteers? And no, no, there are no volunteers. Uh, a good many of them were Jesuits, really. They didn't uh, require much money. Mm. <laughs> they were doing they were uh, semi missionary kind of thing, and whatever money they earned, they put it into a common pool and. Uh, and then sent it to their society in, in, in Canada or wherever. So, uh, and then, then it was a small enterprise also. Mm. But we did pay, I mean, the government paid them, the, the, the few Polish and, uh, uh, 
and, and, and displaced persons from East Europe. They didn't uh, expect much money at that time. Uh, it was immediately after the war, and, uh, and whatever the Ethiopian government gave them uh, was sufficient. Plus, they had free housing. They had, uh, we, we paid their housing, so uh, it wasn't much of a problem at that time. But by the 1960s and 70s, uh, it was difficult to attract foreign teachers into Ethiopia unless you pay them what they would earn in their own country. Wow. Those, the ones that we didn't have much difficulty with, difficulty with were Indian teachers, mm. which we had a few of, of which we had a few of, and sometimes also some Sudanese, some you know wandering Africans, you know, a couple of Sudanese teachers uh, from the University of Khartoum or from Nigeria would come, but uh, uh, otherwise, uh, really, unless they uh, were. Uh, topped up, their salaries were topped up by their national governments, if they're Swedes by the Swedish government, if they're English by the English government or Americans by USAID, it was difficult to pay full salary uh, for teachers, uh, and, and which gave us an impetus in a way it was a, a, a motivation for us to Ethiopianize the staff. So we developed a staff development program which uh, meant that every, from every graduating class, we would take the top five, six, sometimes seven students in every field. We would take them in and as assistant, uh, what did we call them? Teaching assistants. I think that's the same name that they give them here. I think we call them teaching assistants. And they would st uh, be, um, you know, helping a teacher, one of the lecturers, assistant lecturer. They would be helping him and so forth. After two, three years as assistant lecturer, depending how well they do, then we, we send them overseas for graduate work. They come back, teach a couple of years, and then send them for PhD. And then they become full-fledged uh, lecturers, assistant professors, you know, just the way we, uh, we were trained ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and this scheme of staff development, uh, you know, like, when I joined the university in 1963, the, I think the Ethiopian uh, staff consists, um, um, I think was about 10, maybe 12% of the total uh, teaching population. But by the time the DER came in 1974, the, uh, it was more, I mean, it was, it was like 60% Ethiopian and 40% foreigner. Wait, say that again? It was only 10% Ethiopian at the beginning? Yeah. That's, That's almost none. That's amazing. Yeah, it was very few. Uh, I, can, I could almost mention them, one of them being myself. I mean, you know, uh, only 10%, uh, maximum 12%. I have the figures somewhere, but, but that's about right. Uh, but it grew to 60% or even close to 65, 70 percent by 1974. That's a big jump. Through this staff development scheme that we were mentioning. But it's and, not just, it's also the denominator is getting bigger too. I mean, the number of teachers is also increasing, right? Because yes, the student body yes, is increasing. Yes, yes. So, so the absolute increase is more than fivefold. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the staff grew. Uh, oof, do I have the staff numbers here? I, I have it somewhere. I have. Uh, all of the statistics in some of my files, but uh, I know the student population at all you grew from 1,000 to 6,500. Yeah. And the staffing uh, uh, also grew quite a bit, but I don't have the figures right away. Mm. 
uh, the percentage I told you between from 10% to about yeah. 60, 70%, but yeah. I don't have the raw figures right away. No, but you can extrapolate. I mean, the student body grew sixfold, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, I mean, those are fast numbers. I mean, these are numbers sort of like, I hate to say this, but internet startups. I mean, like in, the, in this modern era, how, how quickly companies grow. These are the kind of numbers that you see now. Is pre-computer. Yeah, this is pre-computer. Pre-Google, yeah. No, we don't even uh, have uh, electric Exactly. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing with carbon copy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just got a copy of my dissertation that was written in what, 63. It was by ordinary typewriter, so the facsimile copy, uh, not facsimile, how do you call it, the uh, the one that they store in at the uh, microfilm, microfilm, microfilm oh copies. Yeah. <laughs> the microfilm copy. It was very uh, diluted kind of thing, you can barely read it, I mean, you know. <laughs> so, because there were no electric typewriters even there. Well, yeah. Yeah. At least it's there, I mean, even that's amazing. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, many years later. Yeah. Um, so where, where where are we now? We talk, We were talking about the. I mean, we've been jumping here and there, waiting for any uh, consistent outland. But uh, it gives the flavor of what uh, how how much the university grew. The this growth in number, uh, unfortunately, uh, did not match. Uh, the kind of uh, Ethiopian nature of the university. I mean, you know, we, we were hoping to have uh, an, an Ethiopian university that was completely, or, or, or in a general, you know, not if not completely, at least uh, closely tied to our culture and our heritage. So we'll have Ethiopian philosophy, Ethiopian history, uh, Ethiopia, uh, courses in Ethiopian anthropology, Ethiopian. That didn't happen. And the main reason that uh, we were not able to give, uh, you know, uh, to give extensive program on Ethiopian geography or Ethiopian history or Ethiopian culture, Ethiopian anthropology and so forth is we just didn't have the number of qualified Ethiopians who, or, or, or foreigners for that matter, who are in a position to teach this at the college level. Mm. Um, the first real uh, historians, that you can call them by, you know, historians by international standard, uh, were those who graduated uh, the same time as I did, those you remember, those who were mm -hmm. at Harvard and so forth. Um, so we were just starting to start courses, giving courses in Ethiopian history and Ethiopian culture, but uh, the but that did not grow. I mean, the Ethiopianization of indigenization of the teaching courses did not follow hand in hand with the growth in number of the university. This uh, is something that uh, that I'm, uh, I always feel sad about. Uh, that I don't know how much we could, how much better we could have done otherwise. I mean, it's a hard problem. I mean, you know, the the needs are so large. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, it started. I mean, um, but one thing that did happen and, and was part of our our meaning, you know, the uh, university leadership uh, was to make the university as service oriented as possible. Hmm. Um, we were really, in many ways trying to model ourselves unconsciously, I must say. I don't think anybody would say it, would say, say it out, out loud. Uh, 
to model it after the land grant colleges, something mm -hmm. akin to that. Uh, so that was a service-oriented university. It wouldn't make. We tried to uh, shy away from an elitist ivory tower institution mm. uh, as much as we could, and to a quite an extent, we we succeeded in that. In the sense that, for instance, in the College of Agriculture, um, the students went out from their campuses and established cooperatives. Uh, you know, they, they had cows, uh, all kinds of cows for their own teachings, you know, in, in the animal husbandry department of the College of Agriculture. They used the, um, the milk that they get out of that as uh, and formed the milk cooperatives, egg co cooperatives, yeah. and they worked with the farmers in uh, trying to show them a rotation of crops so that it was quite integrated with the, with the, with the farm, uh, farmers of the, of the area. And the same with the public health college. I think there was a lot of uh, intermingling, intermixing with the uh, with the immediate environment, and the immediate social uh, environment. I mean, the nurses that they trained, the, the maternity nurses would go on mule back into all very far out into wow. the countryside and help uh, deliver babies. Uh, we had sanitation workers helping, uh, you know, um, getting uh, sanitation uh, DDTs and whatever into the country uh, whenever there was a fear that cholera or some kind of epidemics were was starting. They would, they would be the first to go there on horseback and so forth. The uh, School of Social Work worked very closely with the uh, underclass, I mean, such as the shoe shiners and, and the young women in the cities, uh, numerous red light districts. So there was quite a bit of interaction between the School of Social Work and and whatever they learned, they were trying to apply it to their immediate environments. Uh, in the Faculty of Education, we had we ran numerous in-service courses to upgrade teachers um, through in, during the summer. Um, and the idea was not only to give them uh, summer school so they would uh, get more salaries, but also to give them some kind of uh, uh, light, to give them a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, would, uh, I, was, I when I was dean, I was very keen, uh, anxious to make sure that these students, these teachers in the primary schools that were uh, uh, fielded in, in all parts of the rural, very remote areas. I mean, the teachers had to go all to the tiniest villages in in Begemdir or Gamugafa or, or Jimma and so forth. Once they're there, they're, they could be, they could, it's very easy for them to be forgotten by the Ministry of Education. Mm. Unless, and the only, uh, well, I wouldn't say the only, the main uh, light that they saw at the end of this darkness that they were in was the Faculty of Education because they said, if I managed to go into the summer school and did uh, take the exam in the Faculty of Education, perhaps I would get promoted to a higher level, become a school director, or get posted towards closer to Addis Ababa, where I, I'll have more opportunity. So we worked very closely, I mean, uh, in the Faculty of Education with practicing teachers. Mm. And whenever I, as dean, went out to visit uh, schools in the countries, oh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they knew me more than perhaps uh, some of the highest officials of the Ministry of Education, because we were always close, closely involved. Uh, the same with the law faculty. They had evening courses for law enforcement officers, for judges and police officers to, to acquaint them with the newly promulgated laws, as well as with the general concept of citizens' rights and, uh, and obligations, a civics course kind of thing. 
So the law faculty worked also uh, very closely. Um, so that that in that sense, uh, I feel uh, gratified that the college we tried to create was not an ivory tower, an ivory tower but was closely involved itself with the with the with the environment. I mean, with the Ethiopian people, with the rural people. That's that's something to be. Is that is that I mean besides you, you know your personal you know uh, stamp on that, is that something that comes either out of the university charter and, and it was conscious or is it something about Ethiopian culture which I didn't really un- perceive? I mean that a, a very communal culture. I don't maybe I never really gathered that. Uh, it's it's difficult to give it a a cause. I mean to explain how it happened, mm. but if. I mean, as I said, we were growing eclectically, and we didn't have any pattern to follow. So the nearest pattern, although it was not said out loud and, you know, enunciated loud and clear, was the land-grant colleges. Uh, You know, uh, remember that a good many of our Ethiopian teachers were trained in America. Mm -hmm. They had gone to colleges like uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, and and Michigan and, and what have you know, you know, Oklahoma, these land grant colleges. And so that they brought back this experience of of the of, of the university working with the farmers that uh, consciously or unconsciously mm. grew up became uh, an aspiration became something that we aspired to and to a large a large extent succeeded. Uh, so while I was I'm sad that we didn't have enough Ethiopian content in our programs. Yeah. I'm pleased to say that uh, we didn't create an ivory tower in, in institution. Uh, I mean, and in fact, I mean, if you had to pick between the two, interacting with the people and you know, and, and teaching Ethiopian culture, yeah. uh, you would choose the former, right? I mean, we had no choice about the previous one about the Ethiopian. We just didn't have the means. The Ethiopian. I mean, there weren't people learned enough. I mean, educated enough. Uh, at the university level to teach those courses, so you know we had no ch- choice in that regard. That's how I, yeah. I, I, I explain it. So in in, in this sense, Phil, our college, uh, the university, Haile Selassie University, was quite different from the African, uh, from universities in Africa, mm. uh, from the uh, major African universities that I've always been mentioning in these uh, sessions: uh, Ibadan, Lagos, or 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 Ghana. Uh, or Sierra Leone, uh, because they are, they are the ones in the east were newer. I mean, you know, the University of Nairobi in Dar es Salaam uh, came much later than we did. Uh, our, the, the ones that preceded us are mostly in, the, in West Africa. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Nairobi, I mean, Tanzania, we helped them establish their College of Agriculture. Uh, the college in Ethiopia, Alamaya, was the one that helped the Morogoro College in, in Tanzania to start up. Nereri sent uh, the first batch of prospective uh, uh, teachers for his agricultural college to Alamai, to Ethiopia, uh, to be trained there, and, and, and that's how it started. The same with Kenya. Uh, we helped them start uh, their faculties, uh, uh, particularly in engineering and so forth. So uh, we were ahead of those in the East, but now probably they are well ahead of us, but. That wasn't the case in those days. Uh, anyway, in that sense, I mean, our African, our, our university was uh, uh, an exception in, in, in being 
very closely tied with the community and not being an ivory tiger, an ivory, an ivory tower. tower. Yeah. Do you, do you, can you say, I mean, these are somewhat, you know, um, I mean, you know, these are sort of questions of the university culture and, you know, maybe implicit ethos and maybe some of it is in the charter or not. How much of this, I mean, because so few people were there at the beginning and you know, how much, of, how much of this was, you know, a, a small cohort of people or how much of it was something that's more intangible than that? I mean, something, you know, something that existed all around you. I mean, in other words, were there conversations, you know, where people sort of argued one way or the other and, you know, then people say, no, let's do it this way or, you know, oh, yeah, did pe- fact, people, people kind of just did it all this, you know, well, it's a bit of both. I mean, some of it was uh, planned. Mm-hmm. Some of it was, uh, unplanned, uh, but these programs grew from the various faculties. I mean, uh, the way they were administered, each faculty had its own academic commission, you know, it has a dean and an academic commission, and whenever a course was started or a program was being set up, it had to be approved by its own academic commission. Mm. Uh, should I mention that, you know, this faculty council we spoke about as the highest uh, legislative or policy-making body of the university consisted of the dean, ex officio, plus three faculty members from each of the colleges. Uh, they uh, came to Addis uh, Ababa, the Rasmokolun Hall, and they met once a month on average. Um, they were cha- the chairman was the president, and in his absence, the academic vice president. Mm-hmm. And any program uh, of, of, uh, of, of some magnitude, of magnitude would have to be approved by the academic commission at the faculty level, mm. then by the curriculum committee, the standing committee of the faculty council, and the faculty council itself. So it was a, it was not an individual uh, action or an individual decision, but it was a corporate decision, uh, a, a university decision, so to say. Interesting. So this yeah. is separate from the board. I mean, the board is higher level. Yeah, executive I, uh, level, but, yeah. but there was actually sort of a faculty, like a legislature, in a way, it kind of had to sort of approve yeah. major initiatives. Yeah, I mean, the board never intervened on academic matters. I mean, we would just send them by off information, but I don't remember any time they uh, they uh, uh, would say, no, don't teach this or teach that, or you shouldn't publish this or you shouldn't publish that. No, they just left us. Really, we were autonomous. As as autonomous as uh, as uh, you could be. Um, so, in terms of academic matters, it was the faculty council, uh, the, the equivalent of a senate. Now they call it senate, which is another name for the same thing. But uh, but the uh, but that faculty council, as I said, was uh, uh, an elected body, in the sense that each faculty sent, as I said, three representatives plus its dean. Uh, in addition to that, then we added. Uh, the registrar, the dean of students, the librarian. These three were also ex-official members. So this this was the highest academic body in the university. And uh, it decided on admission. It decided on uh, new courses, on promotion. All academic matters was under it. It worked through its standing committees uh, uh, curriculum committee, admissions committee, student affairs committee, promotions committee, and so forth. And I was very active as a member of the, I mean, I was always a member of the uh, faculty council because as dean, I was ex officio, as vice president, I was ex officio. And so I've been there all the time. And, and, and I chaired many of those subcommittees 
how many standing committees at one time or another. Um, so I can tell uh, I can tell you that this uh, was much uh, a group decision rather than um, uh, the president or the vice president or the dean uh, saying it. So this was one feature that uh, differentiated the university, Haile University from African colleges, this very close link with the rural areas. Another one is the, uh, that I should, I think is worth mentioning, is the multi- multiple avenues for entry to the university. Mm. I mean, in, in most African universities of the time, uh, you, you went, you, one entered the university through, you know, by finishing secondary school and sitting for uh, the examination and uh, secondary school living examination, usually coming from overseas the way we did, you know, the matriculation from London or whatever or, or the baccalaureate if they're in France. Um, this was the case with, the, with us at the university college, you, you remember. But as uh, uh, years went by and, and certainly at the highest last university, we had a multiple avenue, like, for instance, teachers who had not finished uh, secondary school as such, but had gone to teacher training college. But if they have, in addition, taught 10 years, uh, would give them a self-examination and admit them into the School of Education. Because mm. we, we uh, get, uh, you know, decided that teaching for 10 years, plus uh, uh, the, the certificate they had as a teacher training was sufficient for them to be prepared as a secondary school teacher. So that was a one avenue, so mm-hmm. summer school. Uh, similarly, those who went to a commercial school and had worked for another, for I forget the number of years, but something like six, seven, eight years uh, in one, in, in some business uh, or other, would be allowed to go into the business college technical school graduates with some experience would also go, would be allowed to enter uh, into the College of Technology. They would give them a test, perhaps, and they would interview them there, uh, perhaps. Um, I shouldn't say perhaps, but they would certainly give them a, a test and interview. Uh, but they were allowed, in other words, uh, just because he didn't have a school living certificate does not mean that it, that's the end of him. Wow. Uh, which was the case in many African universities. And I think um, this was uh, quite, it added, um, I, I mean, very, it added to the university population, student population, uh, a core of mature students mm. um, who, in some of them had even children, are married and children. I mean, in my own faculty, Faculty of Education, we had quite a few uh, students who had come through the summer school, who had, uh, who were married and had children. In fact, this is a digression. I know, but it's an interesting digression in a way, uh, because when they came to university, uh, when the when the teachers, uh, you know, left their family in the rural areas and came to the university, we had to think of what their families uh, will 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 be living on. You know, they had to. Yeah. So we managed to get help from the German government. Wow. Uh, we, we persuaded the German ambassador that, you know, for every student they would send to Germany to study, they could, in, uh, they could uh, support so many uh, married students in the university. And then sure enough, they managed, they, every year I think, they, I think they would help us, uh, uh, give us cash to support as many as 30 married students. So, which would send to their uh, family in the rural areas. 
um, I mean, that's, this, that's a lifeline. I mean, that's it. I mean, if, if the yeah. if the if the breadwinner is uh, in school, that's the family you know is hungry. Yeah, so. yeah. This uh, now, I mean, I shouldn't say this, perhaps you know, because this is we're recording it, but it's easier said than done, fair because you know to send money to someone's family in the rural areas is very uh, tricky. Uh, who they're married to, you know, I mean, they don't take their husband's wives. So there have been cases where we've been paying the wrong wife. <laughs> <laughs> but we soon corrected that uh, uh, error <laughs> and we learned from our uh, mistakes. Yeah. So we got... Uh, 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 the uh, uh, surrounding teachers and the provincial education so officers to help yeah. us identify who the family was. Yeah, I guess you find out when the real wife comes to your office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, as yeah. long as they're still doing their studies. Yeah, oh, that's that's amazing. It's an amazing story. I mean, we yeah. could we could pause here, and I I don't know how much of this we covered. Uh, let me let me let me stop okay. for a second. 